So if you have your, your Bible with you, or if you look to a pew Bible near you, there are Bibles on the chairs. Uh, we're returning today to a, our series in Luke. So uh, we have, um, in the month of December, been in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, looking at the promise of, of Jesus that was, was brought to bear in our celebration of, of Christmas. And we've been, though, before that, working our way section by section, verse by verse, through the book of Luke. And so we're going to continue that journey. Now, now Luke, um, as a refresher, was a physician. He was a companion of, of Paul. And he went and interviewed eyewitnesses of Jesus and his work and compiled this, this record, this inspired record of who Jesus is, what he did, why it is that we can, can trust him. And, and currently in, in Luke, if you were to go back and read from chapter 1, um, Jesus had been ministering in Galilee, and now he's traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem, um, going ultimately to, to death and crucifixion to uh, purchase life and, and salvation for his people. And so this is Luke chapter 11, and I'll begin reading in verse 27. And if you're using your pew Bible, uh, you can turn to page 870. So again, Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, Blessed is the woman that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began saying, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became, became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that the, the words of my mouth, Lord, the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you look back at the very beginning of this passage, 
Jesus is teaching the people, and this unnamed woman suddenly calls out while he, he's teaching, almost interrupting him as, as he's teaching, and she says, Blessed is the woman that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And so this is really an indirect compliment to Jesus, that it, it, she's basically saying, wow, your, your mother must be really proud of you. It would be amazing to be your mother. And if you look at church history, many have shared that, that same thought, looking at Mary and saying, wow, it would be amazing to be the mother of Jesus. Imagine that, holding and, and nursing the the Son of God, the, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. But then Jesus does something kind of surprising that instead of saying, oh, thank you very much, he actually very gently and lovingly corrects what she said. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And so Jesus isn't then trying, he's not trying to minimize the experience of his mother. He's not saying that, that, she, that she wasn't important, but he's saying that, that the, the measure of, of true blessedness isn't ultimately being in the earthly family of Jesus. It isn't holding and nursing the baby Jesus. That it's, it's ultimately obedience to the word of God, hearing the word and keeping the word. That's what we should celebrate. Now, this has a, a lot of implications for life in general, but as we move into a new year, I think this has implications as we think about the year ahead, as we think about 2020, about New Year's resolutions. Um, some people love making New Year's resolutions. Some are kind of cynical about New Year's resolutions in general. But at this time of year, people are asking questions like, how can I lose weight after Christmas? Or how can, I, how can I get back into shape? Or how can I read more books? Or how can I be more organized? And we try to think of ways to, to improve our lives in certain areas. And those sorts of questions, I think, can be really important. They're good questions to ask. But if you were to think to yourself, what is the most important question that I can ask in 2020? Uh, what is most important in my life? Well, as Jesus says, that the, the most important, the, most, the measure of, of true blessing in our lives is ultimately hearing the word and doing the word. It's, it's responding to the revelation of God. So I think the, the, the most important question that we can ask this year is, how can I respond to God's word, to God's light in 2020? And so let's think about that, that question then a little bit more. We'll think about it in, in two sections, which are really two sections in our text. So the first is responding to God's word. If you look in your Bible, that's verse 29 to 32. And the second, responding to God's light, and that's verse 30 to 36. So first, responding to God's word. And if you look here, right off the bat, we see two responses to God's word. And the first response is in verse 29. Because as Jesus was teaching, the crowd continued to increase. And you, you sometimes think that a, that a teacher who, or a religious leader might try to flatter people into liking their teaching and their message. Uh, but Jesus says, 
This is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And in a moment, we'll talk more about that, that sign of, of Jonah. But for now, notice how Jesus says it's an evil generation. And you say, well, why is it an evil generation? And it's ultimately because they were, they were hearing the word of God. They were hearing it from the, from the Son of God. And instead of responding in, in repentance and in faith, they responded in unbelief. And they, they wanted more. And they, they looked for a sign saying, I don't think that what you're giving us right now is enough. We need something more in order to believe. We need more evidence. But I think that if, if Jesus were, were teaching today, I think he would also probably say, this is an evil generation. Um, that, that we have incredible access to, to the word of God. Uh, we have uh, the scriptures, we have more access to God's word than any other generation in history. We have the, the, the word in, on our bookshelves. We have it in apps in our phones. We have it on YouTube. We have it on the internet. Uh, we have it um, in a way like no one else before us. But yet, when we, when we confront God's word, uh, we say, well, well it, this isn't quite enough. We need more. We need more evidence. We need more signs. And, and God, if you would only give me more then I could trust you. Then I could know that you love me and that you'll care for me. And so that's the, the first response here to God's word is unbelief. But then look at the second response in verse 30. Jesus continues and says, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so Jesus then, he's, he's drawing out this, the second response. Not unbelief, but faith and repentance as we confront the words of Christ. And he, he very helpfully then gives us two Old Testament illustrations of responding well to the word of God. And the first Old Testament example is the Queen of Sheba. And you could read more about her in 1 Kings 10. And we heard it actually for our New Old Testament reading in 2 Chronicles 9. She was this wealthy woman, this wealthy queen. Um, scholars speculate on, on where she was from, probably what's modern-day Yemen or modern-day Ethiopia. And she started to hear rumors about the great wisdom of Solomon, the son of David. And she didn't believe it at first, and so she, she gathered at her caravan, her retinue. She traveled hundreds of miles through harsh conditions, arrived at the court of Solomon, was, it says, breathless. Her breath was taken away. She, she couldn't believe the wisdom and the might and the strength of Solomon. And she said, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I didn't believe the report until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I heard. And so Jesus is pointing at the, this, this woman, this queen of Sheba, 
to his Jewish religious hearers, I think for a very important reason, because, because he's saying, look, here is a Gentile woman who heard rumors of the wisdom of Solomon. She traveled so far and actually confessed the, the folly, the lack of wisdom of her own people and, and confessed the wisdom of Solomon. But you think, well, Solomon wasn't that great. I mean, he, yes, he had probably more wisdom than any other person in history, but he also ended up becoming very foolish at the end of his life, that he turned away from God, he turned back into idolatry, um, that, that he was not the best example of wisdom. Yet look at how much the Queen of Sheba did with the word of God from this imperfect vessel. And that's why he says that the Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And of course, Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying that I am the greater Solomon, the greater son of, of David, and that, that if, if she responded to Solomon, how much more should you respond to me, the true son of David? But then Jesus, in a really intricate fashion, weaves a second Old Testament illustration of responding to God in repentance and faith. And this one is the, the famous story of, of Jonah. The, the city of Nineveh was one of the most evil, considered one of the most wicked cities in the ancient world. And so when God came to the prophet Jonah, did I say Noah earlier? Uh, they came to the prophet Jonah, two boats, they, I can flip it. Uh, they came to the prophet Jonah and, and, and said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach the word of God to Nineveh. And he said, no, absolutely not. I don't want to do that. Those are really bad, dangerous people. And so he got on a boat to flee to Tarshish. And, he, and of course, you probably know the story. He, he was, there was a storm. Uh, he was thrown into the ocean. He was swallowed by a great fish. He was eventually spit out onto the land after three days. And scripture points to this as actually foreshadowing Christ, that Christ, just as he continued under the power of death for three days, um, so Jesus would enter the tomb for three days to rise to, to new life. But then Jonah very reluctantly went to Nineveh. But then he was probably the worst and the least seeker-friendly preacher in history. Uh, because if you look at Jonah chapter 3, and, and it gives a summary of the, the, the whole message of Jonah to Nineveh, he says, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's it. And he might have had other words, but that was the essence of his message, that, that he, was, he wasn't pre preaching a message of hope, but he was preaching a message of judgment on the people. And we discover that he didn't even want them to repent. He was hoping that they would remain in hardness of heart so he could see the whole city destroyed, because that's what he wants. As I said, he's not the best prophet. But then surprisingly, against all odds, Nineveh sees their sin. They repent in sackcloth and ashes. They see God as a holy God. They see who they are in light of him. And so then this, this wicked Gentile nation becomes this prime example of repentance and faith. One of the best examples in the entire scripture. And that's why in verse 32, Jesus says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. 
And so it's the same thing that he said of the, the Queen of Sheba, that this is a cantankerous prophet. You wouldn't expect them to respond. Yet they responded to the word of God. And, and Jesus is so much better than Jonah. Um, and, and yet his own generation refuses to believe, refuses to respond in faith, and ultimately would nail him to the cross. So the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now, as you think of then about these, these two Old Testament examples of the Queen of Sheba and Nineveh, I think that it has implications for, for us here as we think about our lives. If we take first the, the Queen of Sheba, she traveled so far through harsh conditions to investigate and to hear the word of Solomon. But then how far and to what lengths are we willing to go to hear the words of Christ? As I said, we have unprecedented access to the word of God in Scripture. We have it in our pocket all the time. But, but will we read it? Would we travel hundreds of miles? Would we go through any difficulty to, to hear the word of God, to see what it says, to see its wisdom? Or will we essentially say that we're fine in the, the proverbial wisdom of our own land to go our own way without seeing the wisdom of Christ? But then also thinking about the, the Queen of Sheba, I think there's an, another lesson from her that, that when she heard the wisdom, she could have tried to respond in pride and, and say, well, no, really, this isn't that great. The wisdom of my play, homeland is far better. But she said, no, this is, this is true wisdom. I don't have this kind of wisdom. I need this wisdom. My people need this wisdom. But when we read God's word, when we confront the words of Christ, that we respond so often with, with pride, or we try to put ourselves over the word instead of sitting under the word and seeing what it has for us. And we think that, that our own wisdom or the wisdom of our, our modern time somehow outweighs and is superior to this, this ancient outmoded wisdom, when in fact we should say, no, this is, this is what we desperately need. And so we're a lot like the generation that rejected Christ. But then on the other hand, if you take the, the Ninevites, we also learn from them because they heard this, this message of, of judgment poorly delivered from a cantankerous prophet, and yet they were willing to repent, to say, say, yes, we see our sin, we see the holiness of God, we see that our entire people have been on the wrong track, that we, we desperately need the mercy of God. But I, when we hear of God's judgment in Scripture, that we say, well, that, that's legalistic. That's, um, I'm, I'm basically a good person, that, that God would be wrong to, to hold me accountable, that, that this is just an outdated idea of, of religion, and we try to prop up ourselves rather than turning in humility. And so the, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation, with our generation, and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, Something greater than Jonah is here, the, the, the word of Christ and the gospel that we have from God's word. And so that's the, the first section of this text, responding to God's word. And the second section is really related. It's the same basic theme, but a slightly different angle. And it's responding to God's light. 
So look at verse 33. Jesus says, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is, when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of, of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, the image in these verses, I think, can be a little bit confusing at first because we, we tend to conflate it with another image in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 5, as part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about us being lights to the world. And, and he says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to God. So it's, it's God's light, but it's God's light shining through us out to the world. And so Jesus is saying, don't put that light under a basket or hide it, but let that light shine to others that they can see God's work in you and, and through you. But here it's a slightly different image because God's light is, is shining, but it's not so much shining from us, but actually into us. And, and you'll notice these three parts of, the, of this image that Jesus gives us. So there's the light. And that's an, another way of talking about the word of, of God. It's, it's the word of God that's shining upon us. Um, and Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a life, light to my path. Proverbs 6 says, The commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And so God's word then is the light that's, that's shining on us. But then, the, continuing in the image, the, the next part of the image is the eye. And he says that the, the eye is the, the lamp, the torch of the body. And, and this is talking about essentially our spiritual receptors. How do we perceive and respond to the word that is hitting our lives? And, and you see this language elsewhere in scripture. So in Acts 26 verse 18, Jesus told the Apostle Paul, he said, I'm sending you to open their eyes. And he's not meaning literally to open physical eyes. That would be strange. Um, but he, he's talking about there are spiritual receptiveness to, to God's word. And it says, so that their eyes would be open, that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Or another example is Ezekiel 12, 2, that God told the prophet, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. So again, God isn't describing literal eyesight, but it's this this image of, of spiritual receptivity to God's word. Can we understand, is it shining into our hearts? And, and that's in the, the last part of this image, so the, the light of God's word is shining. Our eyes are either perceiving it or not perceiving it. And then what's being illuminated is actually our, our it says our body. But it's not just saying that our, our again, physical body, but it, it's a way of talking about our inner life, that 
that, that the, the light of, our, of God, and even you think of our eyes, that light, we see light in ourselves because of our eyes. If our eyes are healthy, then we can see the light outside of us. And it's the same way if our, if our spiritual eyes of faith are healthy, that then we can see the light of God's word shining and illuminating every part of who we are, dispelling the darkness within us. And so in other words, then, there are people who don't respond to the light of God because they don't have the eyes to see. Yes, they may go to church. They may read their Bible. The words might go in one ear and out the other, as it were. But yet, there, it, the light of that word doesn't actually illuminate the heart, that there are these enclaves of, of darkness within, these places of, of where we're holding on to our own sin, our own pride, our own way of living, and we're saying, no, God, I don't want you to ever shine your light into that place of my life, that I want to keep this part of who I am completely separate from you. I want to continue walking in darkness. But the Apostle John says that whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And I, and I definitely hope that, that none of us are in this place today. But it is possible that, that some, even here, um, could be at a place of hearing God's word, seeing the light, but yet not actually truly seeing it. That, that there are the pockets of, of darkness within, the not seeing the beauty and the, the glory of Christ, not being brought to our, our knees in repentance and faith. And if that's where you are, then it's not that we should lose hope, but actually then to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, please give me eyes to see. And even that prayer of saying, Lord, give me the eyes to see. Let the, the lamp of my body be healthy. Let me see beautiful things in your word. That that's a sign that he's already beginning to give you eyes to see that you know, pray that, that God would shine light into the place of, of addiction in life. Pray that he would shine his light into the place of pride or fear or doubt or lust or anger or depression or unbelief. Lord, please open up the heart and, and so that, that what, what is exposed is what's deep down and that you would plant something different, something beautiful, something, something good. And I think that that's the prayer for, for all of us today. Lord, let me see the, the beauty of your word. Give me eyes to repent. Give me eyes to, to trust you. Because Jesus says that blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And this is part of the reason that as, as we come to this meal, that, that every week we do the Lord's Supper. Because this meal really forces us to stop for a moment and, and examine our hearts, to examine our lives, to examine where we are before the Lord. 